All right, it's really good to see everybody. Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer and we'll get started. We're going to finish up John chapter 10 today, Lord willing. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food that has been provided for us. Thank you for this time and fellowship that we've had together um, so far today. Um, and now as we uh, seek to know you better, we seek to open your word and to study your truth. Your word is truth. And I just pray that for the next few minutes you will help us to, to realize uh, who you are and to uh, recognize that in our lives and to be able to willfully uh, kneel before you as our God and our King. Um, help us to live as uh, in your kingdom uh, and and being mindful of your law and your truth and give us the strength and the willingness to walk in those things. Help us to share those truths with others and help us to be light and salt in a world that so desperately needs you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so in our study of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, we are still in John chapter 10. This is actually our fourth week in John chapter 10. We've talked about a lot of different things. Um, one of the main things that we've, we've discussed here is the reaction to Jesus and his words and his works. All right? So Jesus came along and did works, and people had a reaction to those works. First of all, what do we call those works that he, were do- that he was doing? Miracles. Miracles, all right. Give me an example of one of the miracles that we've just discussed here lately. Anybody remember? Good. He he gave a blind man sight. And remember, we've talked about in all of Jesus' miracles, the physical miracle, miracle mirrors or is a metaphor for a spiritual miracle, right? So if someone is physically blind and God heals their eyes, they get sight, they can now what? See, in the same way, there is a spiritual miracle involved when God regenerates a human heart. What do and I mean? He also takes his scales off of her eyes so that we can really see. That's, that's exactly right. So, what does it mean to say that we have a regenerate heart? What's another word for having a regenerate heart? Jesus, Jesus said to Nicodemus. No, Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless you are blank, you will born again. born again. So regeneration is God giving us new life. And once God gives us new life, then he gives us new eyes so that we can see the world around us for what it really is. We can see ourselves for who we really are. And most importantly, we can see God's word and understand it. That makes sense? And so we've, we've discussed that over and over, how Jesus would heal, heal people that were crippled. Right Before God regenerated you, you used to walk in the ways of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, as Paul puts it in Ephesians. You were walking on the wrong path. But now, just like Lieutenant Dan, God has given you new legs, right? You got new legs. Right? You're, y'all remember Forrest Gump? Mm-hmm. You got magic legs, right? Well, when God gives us new birth, when he gives us a new life, when he gives us a new heart, he gives us new legs that are willing and able to walk in his truth. And so we've been seeing that. And there's always a reaction to God's work in our life, a reaction from us and a reaction from the people around us. And in these stories that we've been seeing of Jesus in the book of John and in the Harmony of the Gospels, we see that people react in different ways. So people react to his miracles. And remember, um, like three weeks ago when we were together, we talked, what was the reaction of the young man, or the, the man who got his sight, what was the reaction of his parents when they were confronted by the religious authorities? 
Does anybody remember? The authorities came to his parents, and what did they ask his parents? Talk to him. He's a grown man. Yep. They they said, is this your son? And they said, yep. And they, they said, was he born blind? And what did they say? Yes. And then they said, well, how did he get a sight? And what did they say? Go ask him. He's a grown man. Now, why did the parents react in that way? They were afraid. They were afraid of what? Of being Jews. condemned. Of being kicked out of the this ex synagogue, right? Kicked out of the exile. Almost anything can get you kicked right. out of the synagogue. Right. So it, in churches today, people get excommunicated, don't they? Mm-hmm. Right. If yeah. a church is actually practicing church discipline, and yeah, well, I've seen it in church. If it's, uh, someone is cheating on their wife, and they call them before the the, the elders go to that person and say, "Hey, you cheating on your wife? You need to repent and 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 uh, quit living that way." And if they do, what do they do? They accept them in the church and, and everything goes back, well, not back to normal, but they find forgiveness, they find acceptance with the church. But if they're confronted by the elders and they say, you don't know what you're talking about, I'm not cheating on my wife, then what is the elders supposed to do? The elders call the whole church together and say, uh, you know, Billy Joe is cheating on his wife. We've confronted him about it. He refuses to admit that he's wrong, and he refuses to change his way. So what do we do? We disfellowship him. He's not allowed to have communion at the table. He's not allowed to be a part of the, the congregation. Right? He, he is pushed aside, pushed out of the fellowship. Now, what is the point of disfellowshipping him? Why do they do that? There's two reasons why they do that. Why do they disfellowship Billy Joe for cheating on his wife and refusing to repent of what he's done? What are the two reasons? Well, what would be what would be the cause if you caught your kid doing something wrong and you put them on restriction? What would be the reasons for putting them on restriction? Because I told you not to. All right. So they broken the law. Yeah. All right. So it's a punishment for yeah. what they've done wrong. But it's also to protect them from hurting themselves, isn't it? And it's also a way to keep them from hurting others. If you allow this rebellion to continue to live in the body, what's going to happen? It's going to ooze out. It's going to ooze out, and it? it's going to be like a poison in the congregation. Billy Joe's doing it, and then Johnny Bob's going to say, "Oh well, if Billy Johnny Joe, Bob. Uh, whatever his name is, if oh well, if Billy Joe can get away with it, I can too." And then you're going to just have a, a Corinthian church where everybody's sleeping around with everybody in the church. You see, and so the point is, is that this excommunication is to protect the body and to protect the person themselves. Because what is the point of disfellowshipping with them so that they will do what? Repent and come back and admit they were wrong and ask for forgiveness. If they truly are a child of God, what will they do? Quit doing what they're doing and come back and ask for forgiveness. You see? And so these people put pressure on the parents to try to get them to admit something. And they refuse to speak truth. Why? Because the truth would have gotten them kicked out. So the religious authorities were using their authority not to keep the church pure, but to keep control. So they were using it as like a body of power? That's exactly right. Did it work? No. No. It certainly did. (laughs) The parents said, we don't know, ask him. They didn't want to get kicked out because if you got kicked out of there, you couldn't sell any goods at the market. They were going to get 
basically excommunicated from the whole community. Their whole way of life. Their whole way of life was going to be changed. And did you know that Jesus promises you and I that if we believe on Him, if we follow Him, that that's going to happen to every one of us? That we're going to get excommunicated from everybody else. Not from the church, but from who? Who's going to excommunicate a believer in Christ? Government. The world. Yeah. Jesus told His disciples, He said, Don't be amazed that they hate you. They hated me. They're going to hate you just as much. But we live in a world where we don't like to be hated too much, do we? No. We like to be... We like to have friends. We like to have people that appreciate us for who we are. We like to have uh, companionship, and we like for people to to be nice to us. But what Jesus has promised us all along is rejection. The world's going to reject you. It's going to hate you. It's going to do the same things to you that it did to me. And that's one thing that we miss out on as Christians. We... We want the salvation, but we don't want all of the negative things that come along with it. When we think of salvation, we think, oh, I get to go to heaven one day, right? But the reality is, as a child of God, as a true believer, right? As a true believer, you are going to be more and more reminded of how much this world is not yours. Mm-hmm. I hope that none of you have done this, but if you try to go back and hang out with your old friends that you used to run with, they're not going to respect you in the same way that they used to, are they? No. Nope, you're going down with them. You will go down with them, but they're not going to appreciate you. Why? Because if if Billy is still cheating on his wife and you're living faithful and you go and hang around with him, it's going to put conviction on him. It's going to put the spotlight on him. And he's not going to like you for it. And so we need to understand that these people are reacting to the works and the words of Jesus. So when it came to those miracles, there were a lot of people that believed on him and started following him because they saw these miracles. There were a lot of people that doubted him and said, this guy is not for real. And then there were those that the religious crowd actually said that the things that he was doing was coming from the power of the devil himself. That he was using demonic power to do all of these things. So, when the world is presented with the words and the works of Jesus, they will either receive him and believe him, they will either doubt him, or they will completely reject him. And each and every one of us in this room, even as children of God, we're going to struggle with those things, aren't we? Are there going to be times in my life where I'm going to doubt God? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, especially. There, are there going to be times in my life when I reject Him? Yeah. And are there going to be times in my life where I truly believe Him and enjoy everything that He's done for me? Uh-huh. Certainly. Right? And so, the goal is for us to recognize what is a proper reaction to the words and the works of God. And to react accordingly. What is the proper, what should my proper reaction be to the words and the works of Jesus? It should be to receive Him, believe Him, and follow Him. And I should constantly live my life checking myself and making sure that I'm reacting in the proper way. Uh. Right? And so we saw this struggle going on between this man. Remember when he was first healed, he didn't even know who Jesus was. 
Jesus had to come in after the whole scrum with the, the religious authorities and say, now, follow me. And I want you to notice, um, let's see, let's go ahead and look at some scriptures together. Um, in verse 35 of John chapter 9, it says, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. So he's reminding the man of what Jesus has done for him, isn't he? What did he say? Who is the Son of Man? He said, You've already seen him. Now, just a couple hours ago, this man wouldn't have been able to see anybody, would he? No. And it is I who speak with you. He is the one who is talking with you. So he is making sure that this man understands where his healing comes from and making sure that he knows that Jesus is who he says he is. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him, right? And he said, now I want you to look uh, at verse 39. It says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see and those that may see may become blind. All right, so he said, one of the judgments on this world is that the blind would be able to see and those that claim to see would become blind. All right? So one of the judgments that comes from God's truth being proclaimed, actually, the, the, the truth being proclaimed is a judgment on this world. Do you remember how we're told in the Bible that on the last day, on judgment day, that the angels would come through and separate the sheep and the goats? Have y'all ever heard that before? How the angels of God are going to separate the sheep for the goats. Well, the reality is that's actually happening today and right now. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, an angel is a messenger. And when the message of God, when the word of God is proclaimed, it's separating the sheep from the goats, isn't it? How is it doing that? How is God's gospel message being preached from the pulpits in our country Separating the sheep and the goat. How is it doing that? Explain to me what I mean when I say that. Because mm-hmm. right? it can either convict you of your sin or it can condemn you. Condemn you. Very good. That's exactly right. If you're a sheep, what is the word going to do? Gonna have you follow. You're going to follow it. So the word being proclaimed is actually a judgment. It's going to be a proving ground of who really is his followers and who isn't. And that's what we're seeing happening before our eyes in these passages with Jesus walking the earth. His sheep are picking their ears up and saying, that's the good shepherd. And they're following him. The goats are rejecting him and hating him and trying to kill him. See, So that judgment is taking place today. And it works in our lives too, isn't it? When his word is proclaimed in my life, it's going to show me what's true in my life. And it's going to show me what's false in my life. And if I really am his, I'm going to let go of those falsehoods and I'm going to embrace the truth. And as I grow in my knowledge of who he is, as I grow in my hearing his word and understanding his word, I'm going to become more and more aware of the truth. But I'm also going to become more and more aware of the falsehoods. One of the things that we seem to forget as Christians is that as we grow in our knowledge of his word, as we grow in our relationship with him as our father and our savior, right, and the spirit that guides us, 
as we grow in that, we're going to become more and more sensitive to the wrong in our own life. Now, that can be frustrating, can it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's like living with a nagging husband that only brings up the bad things that you do all the time. Right? You never can enjoy life because the person you're with is just constantly bringing up all the wicked. A killjoy. Yeah, a killjoy. Okay, good. All right? But for the child of God, the child of God realizes that this conviction that is coming from God's word is to remove the impurities in my life. And realize, it forces me to realize that true joy comes in walking with him and not walking in the world. But we live in a world that's not going to accept that, is it? Because I can tell you this, the word of God, just like you said, the word of God is a killjoy to the world. Is it not? Mm -hmm. It's why most people aren't on church on Sunday morning. They want to be left alone. They want to be left to their idols. They sleep want to sleep off a hangover. Yeah, they want to sleep the hangovers off. They want to be left to their idols. Then they don't want to be reminded that they're living in rebellion to God. And so his word and his works are performing a judgment. As he as Jesus walks on this earth, as he walks towards the cross to die to save us from our sins, he is judging the world before our very eyes as we read this. We saw that with this man. Uh, the blind man. And we saw how he received his sight and he believed. There were others that said that they could see. Oh, they're the most religious people there. But what did Jesus say about them? Well, look over in John chapter uh, 9, verse 40 and 41. The Pharisees who were with him heard these things and they said, We're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Mine says your guilt remains. I have a study note on that one. Those who see refers to the ironic way those who think they are in the light but are not. Yep. It's a false light. It is. Yep. A very dangerous place right. to be. So I can tell you this from personal experience. Even in my own life, and not only in my life, but in, in dealing with friends and family members and loved ones who are caught up in cults and isms. One of the hardest people to ever reach in the entire world is a Catholic family member. You are not going to convince them that Catholicism is wrong, that it's opposed to Scripture itself. It is, because they're praying to saints, not to the Lord. Well, uh, the whole bunch of stuff. It's a whole bunch of things, but when someone is convinced that they are right and they are in the truth, you're going to have a hard time convincing them otherwise, aren't you? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they do, yeah. Right. But so I, I just had a friend of mine today. I was just discussing with on Facebook. So um, you and I can argue about political issues on social media. Lori, I didn't say anything about politics. He brought it up. Right. But <laughs> here's the point. There's probably some truth in what both of us are saying. But whose truth are we going to hold on to? Ours. Because what we try to do as individuals is prove we're right. It's not that we're trying to prove what we're not trying to prove the truth. We're trying to prove our truth. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend of mine today that said, "Well, uh, you know, what is what truth are you talking about?" Well, there's only one truth. Well, you could they always say this. 
my point of view, your point of view, and the truth. You and know, the truth. You, you've heard it all the time. Right. I, I've heard it all the time right. my whole life. Right. Well, that's what's happening here. Jesus is the truth, and he's coming in and separating the truth from all of the lies. And the problem is, is that he hits me when he comes in the room. And I'm going to have a reaction to that. I'm either going to say, okay, you're right, which is something we never like to say. Mm-hmm. Because if he's right, what does that imply? You're I'm wrong. wrong. And we do not like that. All right. So the friend and I were having this discussion on social media today about truth. And this is what he said. Well, whose truth? And the implication by saying whose truth is that truth is subjective. It's very philosophical. Well, it's, it could be philosophical, but think about that. Whose truth? Well, what Jesus says is, I am the way, the truth, and life. So if he is the truth, that means there is no other truth. When he was talking with Pilate, we'll see this in probably two years from now when we get to this part of his life when, it, when he's about to go to the cross. But that's what Pilate says to him. Well, what is truth? See, my friend said, well, whose truth are you talking about? And the implications by saying whose truth is, is that truth is subjective right, and, and not objective. That there's bias? different truths and there's hmm? not. Bias? Right. That's what... I thought you said pious, not bias. Bias. So he said, whose truth? And by saying that, this is what he's implying. Everybody's got a truth. Because we come from a different perspective. Like what we talk about, right. that's coming from not what I experienced, but what as a little girl I saw happen to a neighbor. Right. So right. there's a reason why right. I feel right. the way I feel. I'm not going to get into right. that. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I understand. But the point is this. Your upbringing, the culture that you grew up in, and my upbringing, the culture that I grew up in, we all have some truth, but we also have some falsehoods and some fallacies about us. And inevitably, we're going to bring our fallacies into our stance. When Jesus comes into the room, there's no fallacy. He is the truth, and it's up to me and you to yield our falsehoods to what he says is right. And so when my friend, when he says, whose truth, what he's implying is, is that everybody has their own truth. And that's just simply not true. So truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. There's only one truth. There's only one truth. And that's what Jesus is standing for. That's who he is. And so the world reacts to that truth in different ways. So this is what Jesus said. The wages of sin is death. If you sin, you will die. die. All right. So what is our reaction to that truth? Well, most of us try to ignore our sin and say we don't really sin that much or I sure don't sin like Lori does. Right. It's so much easier to see somebody else's sin than it is so your own. So what do I do with that objective truth that the wages of sin is death, that if I sin, I will die? Well, one, I try to act like I don't sin, or at least I don't sin as much as you, so you deserve to die more, way more than I do. You, you see what I mean? And I, I mean, that's how we feel about it. Or Way more than I do. Or we try to say, oh, I'm not going to die. We're all going to die. Yeah, but we, we, but we deny that reality. We live in a world where we deny that reality. 
We try to act younger than we are. We get we get older and start losing our memory. We get sick more often. I get sick a lot more than I do when I was 20 years old. My back hurts now. My yep. body's breaking down on me. I'm having to wear glasses now. My I can't stay awake like I used to. Like my body is falling apart. But what do I try to do? I try to ignore it and still live like I'm 20 years old, and then I pay for it. You see, but we constantly live in a world where we where we try to mask the realities. Of death. How many of you go to funerals? I don't like we put the bodies in these nice suits, right? I just seen a, I seen a girl the other day that was complaining on Facebook. I don't know. I, I'm not a girl, so I don't understand these things. But she said, if my family buries me in a bra, I'm gonna like come back and haunt them. Like she didn't want to be buried with a bra. Because you're so uncomfortable. <laughs> That's why. Okay, so why is that a funny statement? Because she's not feeling anything in that body. But the point is, is this. When we go to the funeral home, they play nice music. We try to say, oh, they passed, right? Mm-hmm. Not they're dead. They passed well, they away. Be, well, I mean, they're going to be with the Lord. And that's true, right? Or we, the, what is it? The, right. the word repass. But the comforts that we as believers should find at a funeral is not in the temporal world around us, that body that's in that box, but in the eternal hope that we have in Christ. And what we try to do is we try to cover things up and make them. And people spend so much money on these funerals too. And they don't need, them right. folks are gone with Jesus. Right. So we they try to we we try to make things nicer than they really are. We don't want to bring up the realities of how bad this world is that we live in. We try to ignore it. You see. And so why is that? It's because we're trying to reject the truth, a reality that's smacking us right in the face. Smacking us. And did you know that we as Christians do the same thing? Because what Jesus has promised us is this. You are going to live a lonely life. And you are going to have sorrow. And you are going to have pain. And you are going to have people hate you. And this world is not going to be a fun place to be in. And yet, as Christians, we try to grab hold of the world and say, well, I'll suck the, the life out of it as much as I can. Like, I'll find the good things in it. And what does Jesus say? There's nothing good in this world. And yet, we, hard-headed as we are, well, our family, right? we constantly reject that truth and try to find some joy in this world. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Right? And we, we try to attract people into our churches by that. Oh, come to church and and you'll get over your depression and you'll get and you and and you won't be sick anymore. You'll be healed and and you'll have uh, financial prosperity and everything will be good and happy. And the reality is, no. It's important that we attend church. I, nobody said anything about that. But what I'm saying is we try to attract people in with worldly stuff. Ooh. Yeah, come in. We're having pizza tomorrow. We're having yeah, a pizza party. Come in, we're going to have a pizza party. Or we get the kids to come by what? We're going to watch a movie tonight. You know? I'm coming. <laughs> so the point being is this, that everybody reacts to the works and the words of Jesus in one way or the other. They either receive it and believe it and walk in it, or they reject it, deny it, and walk away from it. And even as Christians, we kind of like to be pulling both sides of the chain don't we we want to believe the parts of god's word that that makes me happy and we don't want to believe the parts of god's word that makes me that's a kill joy that kills my joy uh-huh. right and and so uh you know 
God's word is going to convict us. And that's what we've been seeing in this passage. Now, the, to, to sum up what we've learned over the last few weeks as we finish up this, this subject of Jesus being the good shepherd. So we went straight from Jesus healing the blind man to Jesus making a claim that he is the good shepherd. Right. Now, do, what is the one thing that separates a true child of God from all of the religions of the world? Well, it's Jesus and his deity, that he's God. There's only one God. Yeah. But, so, so right, you hear what the Lord said? There's only one God. Well, did you know that a Muslim and a Jew would sit right here at this table with you right now when you say there is one God and they would say Amen. Because they, yeah, they, they believe that there's one God. Uh-huh. They're monotheistic. Right. Now, you could even say this. Jesus is a prophet. And every Muslim would say, yep, you're right. But he's not. He's God. He is a prophet. I mean, he is a prophet, but he's still God. He is the prophet. He is the prophet that Moses promised in Deuteronomy 35 that would come along that would be greater than Moses. He is the prophet. He is the one that speaks the he's word the of God. He's the one we've been waiting on. Right, right. All right. So even a Muslim would tell you that Jesus is a prophet. They believe that. They believe that Jesus is a prophet. They believe Moses is a prophet. And even uh, the Jehovah Witness would tell you that Jesus is a prophet. But when you say Jesus is God, then you've just separated the true believer of God from the rest of the world. And that's what Jesus claimed and when he was claiming here when he said, I am, I am, I am. Remember, I am the good shepherd. And remember how we looked last time we were together back at Psalm 23. Well, how did Psalm 23 start? The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. All right, stop right there. If a Jew heard that, the Lord is my shepherd, who would the Jew think that you were talking about when you said the Lord? L-O-R-D, capital letters. God the Father. The Father, God. Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping creator of the universe. Right? That's it. As soon as a Jew hears, the Lord is my shepherd, they're hearing Jehovah, Yahweh. They're, they're hearing God, the one God. Mm-hmm. Well, let's fast forward 700 years, and now here's Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And look at their reaction. Look at verse 31, verse 29. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch my sheep out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Then the Jews picked up stones to stone him. So all along Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. Who is he claiming to be? He's claiming to be the Lord of Psalm 23. Our Redeemer. Yeah. He's claiming to be God. And do the Jews know that? No. And they picked up stones to stone him. Why did they do that? Because they were rejecting the truth that he was proclaiming. What's the truth that he's proclaiming? That just gets me. They've been waiting all this time for the Messiah. The Messiah comes and they look right past him. I just... I know it's got to be because God commanded it that way. It's because they willfully rejected the truth. They had the scriptures. They had all of the promises of what the Messiah was going to look like when he come. That's exactly right. They put just like a child, they put their fingers in la, their la, ears. La 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 la. I can't hear you. And the Bible teaches us that that is a willful suppression of truth. 
the truth comes and we willfully suppress it. We don't want to hear it. We do that all the time in life. You're exactly right. That's what he's. That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is presenting the truth. And what is the truth he's presenting? Not only that he can heal a blind man from and allow him to see, but that he is the very God of the Old Testament. So when your friend, if you if your Jehovah Witness friend comes to you and says that, that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Bible, you can turn them to John chapter ten, and immediately he's claiming to be the Lord of Psalm twenty three. So take that Jehovah Witness friend of yours, take him back to Psalm twenty three, and let them read it out of their Bible, and it will say the Lord is my shepherd. And you can say, who is the Lord there? And you know what they'll say? Jehovah. That's what they'll say to you. Jehovah wouldn't say to you. Then take them back to John 10 and say, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Who is he talking about? And he's talking about himself. So this is the truth. The truth is that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Redeemer. He's the Messiah. He's our Savior. He's the Son of God. He's the only begotten of the Father. And that's what the Scriptures teach us. And each and every one of us are going to have a reaction to those things. So if you ever come to somebody who tries to tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Bible, um, I and the Father are one is a pretty bold statement. And you, they may say, oh, well, that's not what he meant there. But the Jews knew what he meant because they picked up rocks to try to kill him. And remember back in John chapter 8, Jesus told the Jews before Abraham was, I am. Remember they said, he, he said, um, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw me and was glad. And the Jews looked at Jesus and said, you're not even 50 years old, and you're telling us you've seen, you've seen Abraham? And then Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. I am, I am that I am. Right? Well, who was who that? I am that That's I am. the voice that was in the bush speaking to Moses. Right? Who comes first, Moses or Abraham? Abraham. Abraham. Mm-hmm. And then Moses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got a list. Yeah. Got a list. <laughs> but what is Jesus claiming? He's claiming that he was there speaking to Abraham in the bush. And the Jews picked up rocks to kill him. So both of those times. So your Jehovah Witness friend or your Mormon friend uh, or your Muslim friend may tell you that the Bible never teaches that Jesus claims to be God. But the Jews knew exactly what he was claiming. And they try to kill him for it. So one of the overall themes that we got to wind up, we got like three minutes left. One of the overall themes that I hope that you will remember as you go back and read for yourself John chapter 9 and 10, or actually as you go back and read the whole life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. As you read the Gospels from now on, I hope that one of the things that you will see is that Jesus is coming as the king of the kingdom and that he is making kingdom claims And that people are going to react to those claims in one of two ways. They will receive him and believe him and walk with him. Or they will reject him, deny him, and walk away from him. And each and every one of this room are responsible for what our reactions are to his truth. And once we receive and believe that truth ourselves, we are now responsible to go and make those same proclamations to the world around us. And the world around us is going to react to me and you in the same way they, re- they reacted to him. Amen?
Amen. All right. Well, I, I did enjoy before we got the recording going that conversation about convictions and condemnation. And I hope that everybody took something away from that. Remember, the devil will condemn you and he's trying to keep you away from the forgiveness and the freedom that you have in Christ. Conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, his purpose is always to point you to Christ so that you can know his forgiveness and you know the freedom that it comes from walking with him. All right. Father, thank you for this time that we had together today. Thank you for this study in your word. Thank you, good shepherd, um, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for loving us enough to die for us, to save us, and to send your Holy Spirit to convict us in our lives and conform us to your image. Help us to continue to love your truth. Help us continue to grow in your truth and help us to be conformed to that truth in our lives and the lives of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.